If you don't know who I am, I'm Chris. I serve as one of the pastors here at Northwest, and it's an honor to join you guys. So let's get past all the, all the details because we have a lot to cover and a short time to get there. Sounds like a song I heard once. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to ask you guys this question. I'm not going to have you stand yet in the honoring of God's word. We'll do that in a moment. But Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, just mark your Bible there for just a moment. We'll get there in a second. But the question I'm going to ponder this today is a little bit much of what we've been, where we've been. Uh, Rob has been taking us through this, this concept of a Awaken, and what is the purpose of the church, and how we're going to be on mission. And most of you may know because we've been talking about it for quite some time, but this end of the month is our big mission OKC engagement. And we're going to have 14 mission engagements uh, in our community uh, for the purpose of gospel proclamation. And some of you guys may have already been a part of that because we had one start on the 17th of this month. Uh, Jerry Nisevold and his missional choir went out and ministered into the nursing homes and did it. It was a great opportunity to serve and share the gospel of hope there. Our uh, Northwest Class in uh, football tailgate party happened on Friday night. We just loved on the community. Some of you have participated in that. But then most of our engagements, the other 12, are going to happen between this coming Friday and Sunday night. And you can still sign up for those out here. But it, it begs the question where Rob has taken us to answer this, this idea and this question. It's this, and you can write this down as is what is the purpose and the mission of the church? Like, why do we really exist? So let's, let's think about that for a moment. Why do we exist? And what is the central purpose of the church? And how do we keep our focus founded in that? Because if, you, if you're like me, I'm like uber distractible. Like, even as the choir comes in, I'm like, what's happening? People are walking around. Just ask my students on Wednesday night when I'm preaching. Anybody just pulls their phone out. I'm like, hey. But I think the church is easily distracted as well. So we were in California for our family vacation, and we went to the beach, and we got tore up. We, we hadn't been to the beach in a long time, and our kids, we just said, go out on the waves and just, just don't die. And they went out there, and my wife was out in one of the waves, and I'm like, oh my, I can see this huge set of waves that were coming. And I'm standing up like, come out of the water, because what you're about to experience is going to completely, like, wreck you. And she's like, okay. And all the kids are in the water. I'm like, like I could have yelled shark and then just maybe been in trouble at the beach for doing something because there was no shark. But I'm like, come on back. Well, the wave starts coming in, and she starts to catch this wave, and it just pile drives her into the ground because the waves are breaking close to the shore. And, and she gets up and is like all dis, disoriented. She has this massive bruise all down her leg. The kids, I won't say which ones, were walking out of the water like this. Just like, just, and just sat down in the chair and just took a blanket and just sat there for like two hours. I'm like, they are not going to like the waves anymore. But we all got out on the waves. But then I began to realize we were eating dinner. I'm like, what? What are you, what? What are you saying? I'm like, I cannot hear anything that you're saying. Like, can you, you, you know, speak up? It's loud in here, I thought. Well, come to find out, I didn't know that there's a lot of 
sand and salt in the ocean? It's pretty, pretty profound truth, right? You can write that one down. What did Chris teach us today? Uh, and, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in the ocean, and my ears were clogged up with salt water. And sand got in there. And all the other stuff that naturally happens in your ears. Because I hadn't cleaned them out in a long time. And so, and then like for days later, I'm trying to shower and stuff. And I'm feeling like we're back in Oklahoma and there's still sand coming out of my ears. And it took me weeks to clean it out. I'm like doing all these techniques and putting like alcohol in them and like all kinds of stuff and trying to clean. And it took me forever to clean it out. And then one day, it just was like, I'm like, oh, I can hear. Say that again. I got, I got it. Thanks. And I, I, I was going to go to the doctor maybe and see if I need hearing aids put in. I know I'm getting older. I got gray hair, right, guys? But, but it, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to explain to the listeners. And, and we're about to tackle a very difficult scripture. But what happens in our life many times is the world just begins to pound on our heart and our life like the waves that come in. And they don't stop. They keep rolling just, just one after another, difficulty, struggle, uh, depression, and heartache, and storms, but even the waves of life that are just the ebb and flow that naturally happens, like job pressure, and raising children, and walking through difficulty with your own uh, extended family, just over and over again. And many times, it's those very things. Even the pursuit of success and education are the waves of life that we, we try to catch, but many times ends up slamming us into the shore. And it's those very things that can become the factor that derail us as believers and as a church from accomplishing the center purpose of his mission and our life. And then we get our ears clogged up. And sometimes, through the scriptures, the author of a book like Hebrews, some say Apollos, some say Paul. Many don't believe it's Paul because of the type of writing it is. But the author uses this moment. And it's a, it's a pretty difficult scripture, and it's harsh. But my prayer is that you're encouraged, and that this will be a spiritual moment that we're desiring for God to do, to kind of have that moment where our, our ears are cleared out. And we can, we can hear clearly past all the, the trouble and the difficulty of the world that comes constantly, and we can stand in the confidence of Jesus Christ as our representative, our priest who stands in the gap on my, our behalf, which was exactly what the author was trying to explain. But the listeners were dull, unresponsive, and unable to understand the deeper meat of what he was hoping to express. So with that background and some of that context, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't, there's one right in front of you. We're going to be on page 1002. You can turn there. Uh, you can use your electronic device. Turn, I would turn it to airplane mode after you look up the scriptures because if you're like me, you'll have a text come in. You'll be totally distracted. But we're going to be actually on page 1003 in the book. But if you'll stand in the reading of God's word just as a visible expression of an inward position, we're standing to honor God in his word because it's powerful. So, 
starting in verse 11. He says this, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Verse 6, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into the maturity, not laying again another foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing hands or laying on of hands, about resurrection of the dead and the internal judgment. You may be seated. Let us pray. Jesus, as we navigate through the very difficult scriptures, Lord, uh, every scripture is inspired by you, and it's, it's good for teaching and, re, and re, uh, correcting and instructing. So in the name of Jesus, may your word go out. And Lord, as we, as a symbol stood in the honor of your word, Lord, we receive your word with a humble heart and reverence and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little background in order to understand the context of what's being said here. As I mentioned before, you have to kind of back up and look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, about this we have much to say. What is about this? Well, in the previous verses of chapter 5, uh, without reading through it to, to, to maximize our time, uh, the author is trying to teach about the priesthood of the believer, about the, the priesthood of Christ, and that the old sacrificial system that had no real power to forgive sins, but only covered the sins temporarily. The, the author is trying to explain the power behind that. The listeners and the, the Christians in the first century here were hearing this truth, but they were dull to hearing. And we're going to explain why in just a moment. And because of that, they were not practicing and putting into action the things that were new to them as new Christians in Christ. In fact, they were, what they were doing is stepping back into their old identity as one who works for their salvation as the people of Israel did in the Old Testament before the new covenant, before Christ came. And they were, they were, they were hearing these truths and nodding their heads, but then they would leave, and he would notice that the first century Christians were not putting into practice. They were practicing still the old system, the Old Testament uh, model of what it meant to be a, a, a religious person. And so this Old Testament sacrifice he was trying to explain to them was insufficient, it, but it was only a shadow or a type of what was to come in the new covenant. And he was trying to explain that to them that this old system of sacrificial practice would never change the heart of anyone. It would only cover over temporarily this, this sin that really never washed away or forgave the sin. 
But he was trying to explain that this is not so for Christ. Christ's sacrifice is effective. Being the single, sinless Lamb of God, he needed no sacrifice. He now became the high priest for all mankind. That Christ's authority of eternal salvation, that the blood and the goats that were being sacrificed in the Old Testament and in many other cultures as an expression to try to appease a God in their culture, were never given good enough. But Christ's blood took away in its entirety, once and for all, the sins of those put, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. But as we look into the scripture, he found them dull to hearing. He found their ears clogged with distraction, like many of us who, who walk into the church, and not just in this context, but even outside the walls of these churches and the other churches around our, our, our nation, where the, the, it's the cares and the affairs of the world who Jesus speaks about in the, the soils of our heart. The thorns, the thistles, and the weeds of our life just crouch out and crowd out the Word of God that wants to permeate our heart and our life and bring transformation, not just to our hearts, but for the hearts of others around us. And so he was giving them this very stern correction and basically calling them the, the spiritually immature. The writer tells his reader that they were like children who still needed milk and needed the ABCs of the faith. But he wasn't going to allow them to stay there. In fact, he rebukes them and hopes that it will awaken them to God's purpose and plan for them for all eternity. And that's our heart today. As we head into these mission engagements, the reason we're doing these mission engagements is because we are the church. We're called to be a part of his mission, but the mission Engagements that are happening next weekend are only a type, a foreshadowing, a model for what Christ has called you to do in your personal life. Exhausting your life, your resources, your time, uh, your purpose. Understanding that as you look at your career, as you look at your schooling, as you look at the place that God has placed you in, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, everywhere he has you was shaped to be a representative and an ambassador of Jesus Christ. But the waves of this world just keep pounding on you. The, the pressures of your job and the desire to make money, uh, to be able to provide for your family, become the centerpiece of your purpose. And when that happens, we step out of the foundational purpose and our ears just get clogged. And let me, let me just tell you, no one is immune from this. I, I fall victim to this. It's very easy for me as a pastor to come in here, to clock in, to do my protocols that I had paid to do, to check my emails, respond to you guys, to make sure I communicate with you guys the details that are happening and Wednesday nights and the mission engagements and all this stuff, and I never leave my office the entire day. I go home. I don't even have a purpose for my own family to, uh, to, uh, to put them on mission. And so I, have more, I, have, I plan more for the church to be on mission than I do for my family. And then I'm, I'm just going through the motions of making sure that the wheels of the church are turning. 
And the only thing that I do to unclog my ears from just the bureaucracy that I'm surrounded with, even in the context that I'm in, is to get out of the church and get in around lost people. I have to create that. I have to make that happen. If I don't, just the, the waves of the schedule just pound on me. So what I have to do, and this is what I have to intentionally do, is, is I schedule once a week to be in the schools. I'm at Northwest Classen every Thursday on campus. And, and what that does for me is it puts me around lost people because I need that. And it, it causes me to, to, to clear out, man, that issue I have with that person doesn't matter in comparison to these kids who are lost. They have no hope without Jesus. Because it's easy for me to schedule out my life through sports and activities and our daughters in dance and our son wants to take skate classes and, and one of our sons quit football, praise the Lord. But I want him to play football because I love it. And then we get busy with just life and they just get, you get pounded by those things and our, then we become dull to the purpose of the gospel in our personal life. So what do we do? How do we awaken our heart and get the sluggishness out of our ears. Well, point number one is this, and you can see this woven through the rest or the previous verses of Hebrews and the other chapters, and that's this. It says, uh, point number one is, our relationship to the Word of God determines our response to the gospel. Our relationship to the Word of God determines our response to the gospel. If you look back, and, and we don't have time again uh, to, to exegete the whole book of Hebrews, but if you look back in chapter 2, the first thing that the people in that context did is be, they began to drift away from God's Word. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. They began to drift away from His instruction. The second thing that happened is they began, because they drifted away from God's word, the next thing that happened is they began to doubt in God's power through his word. They, they began to doubt God's word. Then the, the final thing is, and that, and that reference is chapters three through four, doubting God's word and the, the author's teaching that truth. And then finally, they stopped joining God's word and their faith. They separated out God's word and it became programmatic and ritualistic. They, their faith and what they did in life no longer matched up. They, they believed these thoughts mentally but it stopped being lived out in their life. So this is very important. This is the moment where typically we wrestle through, oh, God's word. That means I need to now read the Bible more. Okay, check. Well, now we're just going back to works-based faith. That's why if you see at this, the point number one, our relationship to the Word of God determines our response to the gospel. 
How do I know God and who he is through his word? How do I, how do I have an intimate connection with Jesus through his word? How, how do I know what his plan is for me today, tomorrow, and in 10 years through his word? How do I connect with him intimately and, and, and really allow my heart to not be overcome by anxiety and worry and fear through his word? And it's not just going through a ritualistic motion of, of reading a text, but it's, it's coming before Jesus and going, God, you have given me this as a way to connect with you. That is what the Ten Commandments were all about. The Ten Commandments weren't a rule list for us to follow. They were an identity to who Jesus was, foreshadowing. It was God's character qualities. It was the things he valued. The Ten Commandments were the things that God said, this is important, and you want to know my character? Here, here it is in a very simple outline. You want to know how to connect with me and to live? Here it is. But then what did the people of Israel do? Well, they added all kinds of relig religious, ritualistic practices um, to become void of a relationship with, with God, to say, okay, if I just do these things, then, then I'm right with God. Returning back to a workspace faith. It's no, it's saying Jesus, and that's what he was trying to tell the people in Hebrews. It, it's an intimate connection with our Heavenly Father because He's made a way to be connected with Him. When we have the internal confirmation of the Holy Spirit and He's walking in tune with us through the, the counsel of His Word and the fellowship of the body and we're in tune with His Spirit, when the waves come, we know to clear, the, clear that stuff out so we can be on mission with Him and, and fulfill His purpose. So, Point number two, I have another example here, but I don't have, I don't have uh, time to get into that. But you can ask me later. But point number two is our response to the gospel is lived out through the exercise of our spiritual gifts. Not the exercise of just doing church. Not the exercise of just accomplishing a quiet time. But the, the practice in exercise of your unique identity in Christ in the giftedness he has given you as a part of the body and if you if you don't know what that is that's part of the discovery process as a new believer and we have some great resources that we can come alongside of you and help you discover what where where does my heart beat when I'm walking close with Jesus what are the things that I have a tendency to naturally gravitate to that'll feed me that'll guide me that that that'll that'll be a, an encouragement because many times I'll get into just uh, activities for the church and I'll be honest, it just, it just wears me out. And like, I am not operating inside the wheelhouse of what I'm gifted at. Like, I don't like cleaning up stuff in the, the Falls Creek cabin. It wears me out. But I do it because I'm a little OCD. But it wears me out. Uh, so service, I, I need to grow in that. But, uh, sorry, I got distracted. I need to stay on chat task because I got like eight minutes. But... Here's a point there. When you exercise your spiritual gifts, it, it, it's, it's like battling spiritual um, atrophy. Atrophy is a natural occurrence that happens to all of us. It's due to the second law of thermodynamics uh, that we're going from a state of organization to disorder. We're, we're dying. 
We're getting old, and sin's power and the fall of man has messed us up. So sorry, you're not going to live forever in this state, uh, but we get to live forever in another state. But atrophy is a natural byproduct of not moving, not doing anything. Uh, a, a person who's been paralyzed and is in a wheelchair, their, their muscles shrink not because they're paralyzed, but because they aren't, they, they're unable to use them. And many of us as believers have spiritual atrophy. We're not putting into practice the very things we are called to do as believers, so we just become spiritually weak. We become unengaged. It becomes too difficult to move. Uh, if you ever do any activities and working out, uh, like when you first start, you're like, oh, man, I remember in high school, I could do this. And you're like, ah! Uh, it's not happening. Uh, you know, it's, it, we all are familiar when you maybe go on a walk and you haven't walked in forever. You're like, oh, man, my back is killing me. And my legs, what's happening? I'm, I want to quit. Well, that, well, that's exactly what happens to us. We're not putting into practice the purposes and the, the gifts that Christ has given us. Uh, and you can read that in uh, verse 14. It says they had uh, not exercised it. It says this in verse 14 of, of chapter 5. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. And so we miss out on the central purpose of the church because we're unengaged. We take a back seat. So for me, to, to exercise my spiritual gifts and where I'm fed is to be on that school campus, to make it happen no matter what. I'm too busy to go. I don't care. The other things are going to wait. So if you haven't been hearing from me from a while, you're like, well, Chris, isn't, I don't even know if he, what he do anymore. I'm on trying to be on campus and, and share the gospel with lost people because that feeds me because I have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Uh, we're all called to be evangelists or evangelize. Some of us don't have the gift of evangelism the evangelist. That's okay. Uh, that may not feed you, but it feeds me. But put into practice the gifts that God has given you for the proclamation of the gospel. His central purpose is Matthew 28, that all believers are called to one central purpose, to make disciples declaring the gospel and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is our central purpose. There's nothing else that matters. If we're going to get rid of everything we do, it's okay except that. When the church burned down many years ago, it didn't matter because the church was practicing the Great Commission. It survived because they were engaged in the central purpose of what, why we existed, individually and corporately. And then finally, our last point, is our response to the gospel moves us from milk to meat. Our response to the gospel is to move us from milk to meat. When you learn the ABCs, tell me how many of you, raise your hand if you learned the ABCs, or in, maybe if you speak another language, you learned the alphabet in your language. Everybody, this is, this is participation time. If you did not raise your hand, we have some classes to offer you. Okay, thank you, thank you. When you learn the ABCs, you didn't go, okay, I've learned them. I'm going to go tell my mom at 16 the ABCs. Hey, hey, mom, let me, let me, ready? It's a song even. 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. I'll stop. Thank you. No, you moved on to what the purpose of the alphabet was for, to put in practice the alphabet to make a language so that you can communicate with people, right? Well, the basics of our faith that Jesus died on your behalf, he rose again, and now you have salvation, is the basics of our faith. The maturity of the believer should be the natural progression to understand that what Christ did on the cross was to nullify your sin once and for all. And you no longer have to live in fear that you're going to die in your sin if you are born again. Jesus calls salvation a a born-again experience. That's what he said to Nicodemus when he said to the religious leader Nicodemus said, how can I be saved? He's like, you must be born again. He's like, what? I know the ABCs, but I do not know what you're talking about. And so he's over here trying to explain that. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So when you are saved, you're rescued from yourself. You're rescued from the works that you have to experience to try to earn your way into God's graces. That's no longer, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to live in and condemnation or spiritual strongholds. But we have a church that are filled with people who just uh, know that they can fly, but they choose to just walk right out of the church instead of soaring like wings of eagles by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That is what it means to know Jesus as a priesthood for us that he stands in the gap for us. And because of that, we are empowered. We're filled with his spirit. We could go on a little bit more about the Old Testament sacrificial system, about the, the remission of sin and completely taking it away. I would encourage you to, to, to study the scriptures. I got a ton of uh, biblical references to give you. But Jesus is our high priest. And understanding the deeper things of God's word is to go from the ABCs that I know that Jesus saved me to the deeper things of learning to communicate the truth of the gospel through the language that you have developed, through the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, that there's a new, new place, new name, new nature that you have for the sole purpose of making his name famous. May we stop returning back to the Tower of Babel like Zach shared on Wednesday night, where we wanted to build a name for ourselves in our company, our family, our church, on our football team, wherever that is. We, because guess what? God will tear it down because he will not share in his glory. So may we join him in his plan. His plan is for us to be used to make his name famous. And so this morning, as Kyle comes up, he's going to lead us through a time of response. Here's some of the questions I leave you that I want you to write down. As how does the gospel practically impact my daily life? How does the gospel practically, practically interact in my daily life? It's like taking the ABCs and going, okay, how do I practically use that gospel and now live it out? as God has called me to do. Second question is, how is the gospel practically impacting Northwest Baptist Church? That's why we're on mission. That's why we're modeling being on mission through the mission engagements next week. 
And let me be clear, our goal, my goal, and pastor's goal is to use that as simply a launching pad. It's not just an annual event that's going to come back around next year and we check off the mission box that I did missions this year. But that mission project is a mission trip to model for you to enter your mission field wherever God has you right now.